0: For us, patient capital is about really understanding the problem that the social enterprise is trying to solve and tailoring a solution around that problem and making sure that the covenants that we set in the loan and all those kinds of things rally around the mission of the company, the problem they're trying to solve, and any special circumstances they might have as a result of serving and and fixing that problem.
1: Welcome back to the Patient Capital podcast series Inside Her CEO Journey. We have two goals with this podcast series. One, to understand what is the definition of patient capital from both the capital fund and founder perspective. Second, once you have listened to the complete series, we want you to share with us, what is your conclusion? Is there such thing as patient capital? Starting from episode 151 to 155, we have shared with you what is patient capital from the perspective of venture capital funds and the founders who receive capital from them. In today's episode, episode 156, we are speaking with Mindy Christensen, the Vice President of Lending at the RSF Social Finance, a pioneering firm in impact investing space and regenerative finance. Unlike conventional lenders, which are generally risk averse and provide financing solely to generate monetary returns, funders that are all in on your mission are also investing in your impact. They will go above and beyond to find solutions to mission-related challenges that traditional lenders won't touch. And payments on your debt will support other enterprises that contribute to a more socially just and environmentally sound economy. You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for mission-driven women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi, because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while and you are a regular listener, I want you to know I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I want to inspire you to balance between mission and profit, to create an impact in this world, and to achieve financial equality through your business for good. As you follow along with this patient capital podcast series, you will hear from the investors as well as founders that capital raising is a journey. And getting capital from a venture fund is not the only way, nor it is the right type of capital for every founder. It doesn't matter what type of capital you are seeking. If there is one thing in common, all the guests share is that financial acumen is a must at every point of the journey, and the investor expectation of your financial acumen is different for each stage of your funding journey. At the very least, your incoming investors wants to see well thought assumptions built into the financial model. So to help you in thinking through all the assumption you need for the financial model, we have created a guide. This guide shows you how to create an improved forecast for future growth. By thinking through the question we put together in this guide, you can incorporate them into your assumption and build them into the financial model. In addition to using the guide, you have another option. If you don't have time to build a well thought financial model on your own, our Fractional CFO can help you. Connect with us at theprofitreimagine.com forward slash Let's Chat. Now, let's find out Mindy's CEO journey. Mindy Christensen, welcome to Her CEO Journey. It is a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you today. Yes, me too. And before we started talking about RSF social finance and patient capital, why don't you start with your journey to becoming VP of lending of RSF social finance?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to share. Well, I've been in finance one way or another for the last 17, 18 years, but I made my journey to social finance in 2014 when I joined Kiva joined as a fellow of their ZIP program and worked on their mobile lending platform directly in Kenya. That's really where I learned that there's a different way of doing finance that can take all the things that many of us care about into consideration. And through that process of being a fellow, I was led to New Resource Bank. New Resource Bank was one of the first B Corps and first bank to become a B Corp in particular. They had very similar impact areas to to what RSF has today. And so there I focused on food and egg lending and was able to leverage kind of my finance skills there. And and then mid-2019, I joined RSF as the Senior Director of Credit, was there for about nine months. And then the pandemic hit. And in June of 2020, I stepped in to serve our clients and lending team as, as the VP of Lending. And I sit on the credit committee and the executive team at at RSF. And I absolutely love working with all of our wonderful clients. So
1: when you first heard about social finance, what was the situation or the issue that made you interested in this social finance?
0: I worked on a lot of different deals when I was in traditional finance. One of the things I observed is like, we're looking at all these different risks when I mean, you're trained to say okay there's a risk here there's a risk there we need to pay attention to it but it felt oftentimes like it wasn't a holistic view and it wasn't taking things into consideration it's also important to say that I grew up in rural America with food and agriculture as part of my DNA and farming as part of my DNA so when it came to RSF in particular that part of their mission really, really spoke to me because I, I understood at a young age all the challenges that that our food system and its present and current format present for, for the U.S. and, and opportunities, to be, to be honest.
1: Explain a little bit more for my audience who doesn't know anything about RSF social finance. How is RSF different than the traditional financial services, aside from working with impact-driven businesses?
0: The really important thing to say about RSF is that we try to use a mix of our financial and social capital to help social enterprises achieve their mission. We were one of the earliest funders of social enterprises on the scene. We really, really, really have a deep understanding of social enterprises. And our investor community in particular it's extremely supportive of our social enterprises and have been investors for, for many, many years. One of the reasons that RSF, I think, is different is a couple of different things. One, we have an expertise in food and agriculture, education, and climate. And so we have a very focused view of looking at things. And then we look at justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion across those different impact areas. The other important kind of thing to note about RSF is we have a concept called a community pricing gathering. They're quarterly meetings that bring together our borrowers, our investors, and the RSF staff. And we discuss what rate do we need to set for the borrowers and what rate are the investors going to be paid? And then you know the difference is what does RSF need uh, in terms of support as an intermediary? We broke away from LIBOR, and traditional rates during the last financial crisis. And we launched into a community-based model for determining our own interest rate.
1: When I opened the RSF social finance website, there is a tech line saying integrated capital for Catholic impact. What is integrated capital?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So I love the concept of integrated capital. It's actually... One of the reasons that I wanted to work at RSF is to be able to have all these different tools to help entrepreneurs. We focus on the idea, our integrated capital, that a social enterprise comes to us as a whole system that has several different needs. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, our traditional financial system has parts to it that are broken. And I think one of those parts is that a social enterprise has to Go over here and find debt. They have to go over here and find grants. They have to go over here and find equity. And it's really, really distracting from the actual real work that a social enterprise needs to do. And so at RSF, our concept of integrated capital is is the idea that a social enterprise can come to us and say, Hey, I need this money and I have these three different problems I need to solve. Can you help me? And we put together potentially a loan with equity from one of our collaboratives. We might employ some of our collaborative funds for a loan guarantee and do a loan out of our social investment fund. There may be technical assistance grant that is needed to make everything work. And so it's really this idea that the social enterprise can come to us and say, hey, I need help and I need this much capital what capital is best for all the different things I need to do and what type of capital is best. And I think the thing that we don't often talk about or that we undervalue is also just social capital. Just yesterday, one of our collaborative borrowers reached out to me and said, you know, I have these three different problems I'm trying to solve. And capital is actually the third one Mm -hmm. Uh, of the least of my concerns. And so I made an introduction to a couple of CFO for hires. I made an introduction to a couple of peer circles for this particular leader because they really, she really wanted to find community and community in particular with women. And then she had a couple of supply chain challenges. So I offered up some other ideas and folks she should talk to on that front. All of those things are really, really, really important. and, And none of them are directly related to capital, but they certainly are indirectly related to capital.
1: So what you are saying, the RSF Finance basically maintained this open approach, meaning that there is no one way fits all. You look at the situation for each borrower and then really do deep listening process to understand what is the real problem. Is it really capital or is it something else? Is that right?
0: That's exactly right. It's deep listening. We live in a world that has competing priorities and attention all over the place. It's very hard for a leader, particularly one of a social enterprise. I think the traditional financial system says, "Okay, here's a box. Do you fit in it or not?" Right? Like is your company doing this or your organization doing this or not? If not, go somewhere else. Good luck. For us, it's listening to, what is your problem? And and, you know there are times when we we can't solve the problem or we can't solve all of the problems. So Mm -hmm. we reach out to other partners or other folks in the community and say, hey, we think we can do this part. Can you do this part kind of thing as well? And deep listening and a long relationship is extremely important and understanding the industry. People come to us because we have a keen understanding of food and egg, of climate work uh, and education. They know that those are areas of expertise that we're going to be able to provide some value for them.
1: I remember back in the fall, I interview organically grown company. Natalie, you know, Natalie? Yes. Yeah, right, absolutely. Natalie Reitman White. I know that RSF Social Finance is an investor in OGC, right? And then help them transition to become uh, the perpetual trust model. Because when you do that, it requires a lot of capital. But this is also a model, an alternative ownership that is uncommon in the US. One of the interesting parts she said she approached RSF and then basically RSF was like doing deep listening. At the very beginning, you guys were saying like, hmm, I don't know about this, right? <laughs> but then... RSF basically figure out something and then reach out to all the other partners to make this work. So that is really an example that intrigued me to invite you to this conversation because it is really that deep listening. And the other part that also intrigued me, this community pricing meetings, it's a different approach.
0: How does it actually work though? Yeah, that's that's a great question. It's actually to me one of the most magical parts of of working at RSF or being part of the RSF community. One of my clients recently said to me, when I need a little dose of just feeling good, I love to come to a community pricing gathering. We start all of our conversations by acknowledging that everyone who is coming to this community is coming because they want to make change in the world. They either want to support the change or they're making the change. On our most recent pricing meeting, it was really, really magical to watch the investors talk about the different kind of viewpoints they each have. You may have one investor who said, hey, this is part of my savings. And I really, I can't afford to have the rate reduced. It's really important to me that We keep this rate, and another investor will say, For me, I really want to make sure that my return is less so that it can go back to support these social enterprises, particularly in a time of COVID. And the borrowers, it was really, really fascinating. Some of them said, We're going through supply chain issues right now, and we really could use that extra 25 basis points, that extra quarter of a percent. And other borrowers said, Hey, we actually think we're doing okay. And we think we should give 10 basis points back to our investors who so graciously helped us all through COVID and, and did reduce their rate. What's really beautiful about that is that it creates a shared sense of understanding and compassion. Investors hear those stories from the social enterprises and say, wow, it's important that I want to support them. And, you know, sometimes investors will say, wow, it's really important that I use this money for my daughter's savings. And, and people people pay attention to that. I have borrowers who have struggled through COVID and they come to me and say, I want to make sure that I repay this loan because I know on the other end of it, this is somebody's daughter's savings. Like these people really care about what I've done as an organization and it's up to me to make sure I also repay this loan because of what this community has done for me and the way in which it supported me. It's a really powerful, powerful community and tool that we have. The thing that I always come away with from those conversations that we have each quarter is the generosity of spirit that each kind of party brings to the table. Basically, we look for the group you know investors and borrowers to make a recommendation to us as RSF and you know ultimately rsF will will make a decision and, and share that decision with everybody but we listen very deeply to what the community is saying in those meetings and our last community pricing gathering we decided to reduce the, the rate partially to borrowers and partially to investors what's fascinating is if you look back rsF at times has been higher than the market. Sometimes it's closer to the traditional market, but there is a stability in the interest rate. If you watch it over time, we have it on our website. I think that stability has a lot to do with the sense of community that we've created and the understanding that instability and unknowns and unpredictability can be part of the risk in the system. And we can we can mitigate that risk through community at RSF.
1: I find this fascinating because what we always hear is that investors would like to get the highest return they can get from their investment. But the story that you share over here with compassion and empathy and understanding, when the borrower understands there is a person, there is a family on the other side of the money that I borrow, it creates this deep sense of commitment that I want to make sure I'm using this capital in a responsible way. So I can pay back to the person that has been kind enough to allow me to borrow the money.
0: Why we haven't heard this often enough. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's true. It's a really, really, really magical thing, right? Like money is just a tool to make people's dreams happen. It doesn't need to be the thing that we rally around. It can be the tool that we use as a community. The type of investors
1: who are willing to come to the table together with RSF and the borrowers, it got to be a different type of investors. Where do you find them? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, what's interesting about our investors, you know, our average investor stays with us between eight and nine years. All of them have a shared sense that I think in particular during the financial crisis, people saw like how the traditional financial system could misuse funds and it could could use things, you know, use money to fund things that that don't align with your values and align with who you are as a a human being. You know, I may be over here at a protest or supporting this nonprofit, but over here, all my money is being put to use to build a pipeline that I don't agree with. As an example, those folks discover RSF because they say, hey, I, I want my money to be at a a place that's safe. But I also want to make sure that my money is being used for things that align with my personal values. There's so many people out there, too, that I think don't even know that something like RSF exists, you know, and are looking for alternatives or answers. But it's usually by word of mouth, like, hey, so-and-so told me I should look into RSF, or people do a lot of research on impact investing, and they find us through that route. It's a really, really pretty amazing group of investors.
1: So do you normally work with investors that are individual investors or is it organization? Are they accredited? Are they non-accredited
0: investors? So we have a, a mix of investors. We do have investors who are organizations that work with us. Sometimes they even, you know, may have a loan with us and say, Hey, I would like to put a portion of instead of putting it in a bank i would like to put a portion into an investment to help circulate my money so some of them are organizations some of them are foundations and then some of them are just you know what the traditional finance system would call retail investors your average person who's not accredited but just really wants to use a portion of their of their savings for good in the world so it's a it's a real mix of investors
1: is there like a minimum amount that you can participate as an investor? Our minimum is $1,000. No kidding? Yes, yes. No kidding. Yes, yes. 1000 yes. And then you can invest in, you can become an investor in RSF?
0: That's correct. That's our minimum. It's very easy.
1: Whoa. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say like 10000 like $20,000, 1000 <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, that's a nice surprise.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: so, that's mean if it's a $1000 like you said, is non-accredited investor can come in and basically say, "Hey, I want to become an investor in RSF." Are they allowed to participate in the community pricing meeting or only selective investors?
0: we uh, invite all kinds of different investors to the community pricing meeting. And it's actually really important that we have kind of different voices with different circumstances, right? Because that's how you get the best outcome. So an investor who has invested a thousand all the way up to, you know, some investor may join who has a million, two million with us. It's really important that anyone who is interested in coming can come to the community pricing gathering. So we don't usually have Everybody that's an investor on the call, because we find that it's really helpful to have a smaller group of people to be able to have a really intimate conversation and have everyone feel safe to speak about their personal circumstances. But yeah, anyone is welcome to come to a, a pricing meeting.
1: This conversation, obviously, it's part of patient capital. I know that we talk a little bit about how different RSF uh, is operating and then the type of capital that you are providing, the deep listening. But I want to hear from you, what is the definition of patient capital from your perspective?
0: For us, patient capital is about really understanding the problem that the social enterprise is trying to solve and tailoring a solution around that problem and making sure that the Covenants that we set in the loan and all those kinds of things rally around the mission of the company, the problem they're trying to solve, and any special circumstances they might have as a result of serving and and fixing that problem. It's sometimes easiest to talk about it, I think, in terms of examples. We have a client that's been a, a long time client of RSF called Cooperative Coffees, and they are really seeking to make sure that there is fair trade certified coffee and and that they promote transparency in the coffee industry. And they also are a co-op, like like their name alludes to. And so with that model, you're not going to have super, super crazy profits that then get plowed back into equity positions. They're going to be likely invested some portion into the supply chain and into the cooperative model when they really wanted to work with RSF because they'd been working with a traditional bank or other you know traditional lenders who may have even understood coffee and food but they kept saying okay why isn't your profit growing why isn't your profit growing <laughs> you know it needs to grow and co-op was saying yeah but this is the way that our model works like our model is not extractive we're trying to infuse these profits back into the community. So Co-op Coffees works with us and they're also a great example of integrated capital. We were able to give them both a loan and then preferred equity through our food and ag collaborative. And the preferred equity that we gave them, we actually were supposed to receive 6.5% and instead gave back 2% to the company, to Co-op Coffees, to help diversify their co-op members and support different co-op members.
1: You mentioned covenant. In this situation with this coffee cooperative, what would be the type of covenant that RSF looking for?
0: So in general, we have covenants usually where we like to see that there's some sort of a debt service coverage that's not Always the case. There can be situations where debt service coverage might not make sense actually. There could be a path to profitability within 12 to 24 months, and maybe they can't they can't be profitable just yet. But the, the really important thing is that the debt is structured so that they can repay it in a way that matches their business plan. Cause the worst thing you can do is give someone debt that, that they can't afford to repay. <laughs> in that case, there's a what's called a debt service coverage kind of focus, and then you also can have net worth covenant. But again, it's really tailored to the particular company's circumstances. Their covenants are fairly modest in terms of growth through the years because we know they're investing those profits back into the community. So we have expectations with those covenants that kind of match their business plan. When
1: you say modest growth, what is modest growth? RSF?
0: Yeah, good question. So we have a lot of organizations that want to work with us because sometimes, you know, in the traditional uh, venture spaces, it's growth at all costs. Scale, growth, you have to do that. We find a lot of people like to work with RSF because that can be a really good tool for slow growth. Three to five percent a year, if if that's the case. Or you know, sometimes there's years that are that are even flat. A lot of clients experience hiccups and even huge surges during a pandemic for some of our food clients, where they had a lot of excess revenue, and then it's going to go back down uh, here in 2021 to more kind of steady state. So for us, the growth should fit the model that that company is working with, and we have found that debt is a really good tool for those companies that are growing in the two, three to to 5% range because they don't want to have a bunch of equity that comes in and says, okay, you have to take this equity, but you also have to grow exponentially to be able to pay it back in the next, you know, five years or whatever.
1: You're talking about revenue growth or are you talking about profitability growth? I heard this so many times Even from a mission-driven business that is working with venture capital, the conversation is going to end up happening, how can you grow your revenue?
0: It could be insanely like 2x or 3x. Yes, that's the difference between debt and equity. There is plenty of small, closely held businesses all across the U.S. who are serving a mission in their communities, but who are never going to get to a place and nor should they get to a place where they're growing two times. Sometimes growth like that doesn't fit every business model. And so there are plenty of organizations all across the country that have modest growth like that, but maybe they have accounts receivable or inventory or equipment they need to purchase. And debt is a perfect, perfect thing for that sort of investment into your company. Equity is a better use for things like sales and marketing hires or completely building out a new product line. But slow, modest growth with debt is a great thing. It works.
1: There has been this misconception that if you are getting into debt, that means your company is not doing well. That's one. Second, a lot of founders also scared because of the timeline that they have to commit to pay back the debt. Have you heard this? You met with a lot of entrepreneurs. I'm just curious, how do you even talk to them? And it's not about convincing, but switch their mindset that debt could be a growth
0: tool, the right one for them. It's not always equity. Yes. No, absolutely. I have those conversations with clients all the time. Like that's pretty much when you're going to try and figure out and use our integrated capital approach and, you know, structure something for a client, that deep listening about how they want to grow and where they want to grow is exactly where you find out whether they should use debt or equity. So in the, in the case of debt, it's really important that when you take on debt, you're matching your sort of assets, or in the case of a service business, your, your revenue growth to the, to the size of the debt you're taking on. And so as an example, if you're taking on debt for purchase orders, because let's say you have a new purchase order with Whole Foods or Target or, or, or someone, and you know you're going to grow your accounts receivable by some amount, the perfect use or to help with that working capital, what we call working capital need, is indeed debt and particularly a line of credit. So short-term debt is really important in those instances. You know, it would be a bad idea to take out a super long-term loan that had to be payback over time. Uh, you'd want to match it to the the shorter-term kind of purchase orders. In the case of, say, let's say you need to buy equipment for your organization, it's a perfect use of debt to say, okay, I'm going to finance 10, 20% with my equity or my cash and the rest I'm going to finance with debt. And I'm going to have the loan payback period, you know, match the the useful life of, of that particular asset. And those are great, great uses of debt because you're really matching that debt to a specific asset on your balance sheet. And when it comes to more cash flow lending or service based kind of organizations, it's really about looking at your your growth and your revenue and saying, okay, I think my revenue is going to grow, or maybe my revenue is even going to shrink. So realistically, this is how much excess cash I have to use and backing into kind of a ratio that you feel comfortable with. Like, okay, I think I could make this month and monthly payments, um, and if the interest rate is X, I think I could take on. This sort of debt, and you know, our good rule of thumb is to always plan for a little bit of a change. So, even when we, you know, set covenants for for a, a debt that we're giving, we'll say, okay, where are you projecting to be? And then we try to set the covenants or the kind of operational performance that we agree to somewhere around eighty to ninety percent of that, so that you're giving yourself wiggle room. So. Debt is a really good tool for, for that kind of growth. And you know, there are entrepreneurs that say like, I don't want to have even a covenant. I don't want to you know, have to report anything because there are you know, financial reporting and other things that come along with, with taking on debt. And that's certainly a consideration, but it can be a really good tool for ownership preservation for sure. Definitely.
1: When you assessing a borrower, Does RSF
0: use the five C's of credit? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. RSF uses some of the five C's of credit, but I think the most important one for us is the character piece. And in some cases, that character piece may be called something different, like community, depending on the client, right? The deep listening That you talked about with Natalie, when you talked about OGC, I think that's a perfect example where, yes, we needed to make sure that we focused on their cash flow and said, okay, if we're going to give you this debt, you have to be able to pay it back because that would be awful for the model. It wouldn't have worked if we gave you too much debt. So we had to focus on cash flow and we had to focus to some extent on collateral, but the character piece of it is oftentimes the, the first most important piece of it. Because that sort of relationship that you have with an organization and with its leaders is, in my opinion, of the utmost importance. Because businesses and organizations will go through time periods and, and situations where things get tough, where the cash flow gets strained, or the collateral value changes. Those things change and shift. But really what's important to us at RSF is, is this borrower, is the leadership team of this borrower going to be able to walk with us through tough times? The idea that any organization will never go through a tough time or a challenge is just, it's not realistic. So the important part is focusing on how are we going to get through this tough time together? And do we have a kind of relationship and deep listening on both sides? to be able to navigate that sort of thing.
1: Now, the character piece, though, it's often ties with credit history, which is, I'm pretty sure, recently you have heard a lot of talk from different community lending institutions that it's create this gap for people underrepresented group to get loan because of the credit history. How Does RSF Finance avoid creating more gap because it's looking at the credit history? Or are you saying
0: it's not the credit history? Credit checks is something that we do as a practice to, you know, just to understand what's happening with individuals that we work with. But we've definitely worked with people who have what could be seen at other places as bad credit. Like that's not the thing that's. Important in the equation. The thing that's important in the equation is understanding what it is that entrepreneur wants to achieve, what they're good at, and how we can support them. I acknowledge that systemically that that character piece has been one of the problems with our financial system. And because of that, and because RSF and many other even social enterprise community-focused CDFIs have used that. We're actually participating right now in a group called Underwriting for Racial Justice. This group was put together by Beneficial State Bank and Foundation and many other lenders in this space. And we're actually using that space and that time to break down and talk about the five C's of credit. And are those the right things to be using in the future? So there's definitely a conversation and a consciousness in social finance about what ways are we using this that are helpful for the client and helpful for folks and what ways in which do we need to change how we think about this. So I don't have any final answers yet. It's certainly a, a reckoning and a journey that, that RSF and many other institutions are, are going on to make sure that we're really thinking, thinking that piece through.
1: And then from your investor perspective, do they ask you this question about, are you looking at the characters? Are you looking at the collateral? Are you looking at the capital side of the business? Like all these five Cs, do they enforce that into RSF to go through this five Cs?
0: Yeah, so we have a credit policy, right? That we have to follow. The way in which we would change that credit policy would be to work with our, with our board And work with our investors through our process of of filing a prospectus. And the way that we would shift any of those things would be through, through a conversation. Like, as I said before, we have investors with very different focuses. And so some investors specifically work with RSF because we have the time and the expertise to work and diligence a company, right? And they, they, as individuals say, you know, I would never be able to do this on my own. So I love working with RSF. And we have other folks who say, that's not as important to me. I just want to make sure that my money is going for social good. And I, I don't really care. So there's sort of a range of investor appetites in the mix. That's important to say, because the answer is it depends on the investor.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Makes sense. As someone that works on the lender side, so I'm curious the type of financial maturity you expect from the borrowers or the founders.
0: Yes, good question. So, if you look at the social investment fund, the kind of primary focus is an a, a borrower or organization company that's been in operation for. Two to three years at a minimum. You know, we have folks that have been like OGC. They were in operations for thirty decades. years before yeah. it, they worked yeah. with us, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the high end. But two to three years is the minimum, and we really want folks to be able to be producing their income statement, their balance sheet a statement of cash flows is a good thing, nice to have. <laughs> and really, you know, able to understand, like, how does my organization work? How does money flow through my organization? You know, what, what is my model? And if my model isn't completely solved, because sometimes if you're two to three years in, you may not completely have your model solved, mm-hmm. right? But what are the different Levers or strategies or things I need to accomplish to work through my model and make sure my model works at the end of the day. So it should be a fairly good, developed, thought out kind of plan and budget that certainly with a social investment fund has the kind of ability to start repaying the debt, you know, at some point pretty quickly. We also have our collaborative funds, and in those funds, that's philanthropic capital that's a little bit more patient. In those cases, you know, we could be doing recoverable grants where they don't have to repay anything for five years, right? It's a, it's a range. It depends on the vehicle that we're funding out of. But in general, we really want to see that you can at least produce a financial statement and have a keen understanding of of how your model works as an organization.
1: So when do you think a business should start working with A level of fractional CFO?
0: That's a great question. I'm biased, and my (laughs) answer always is right away.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why right away? I'm curious.
0: Yeah, because it's kind of like the best example I can think of is I had one client come to me, not when I was at RSF, but a previous organization at Resource Bank, and she had this beautiful business, and she said, I really, really want to work with you. But she hadn't been keeping... She's a very creative person. She hadn't been keeping track of her financials and had this amazing business that was almost $10 million a year with no financials. Once you get to that level of success, it's really hard to go back and create the systems and the processes to fix that sort of a thing. And so Mm -hmm. I always say... Plan for maximum success (laughs) (laughs) and get all of that squared away, straight away. So you don't have to go back and clean it up because that process is super painful. And a fractional CFO, like they really know and have been through a lot of different things with our client. So they can make wonderful recommendations about this is how you should set up your financial statements. These are the processes you should use. This is how you should look at your cash flow. And get you really on the right track from day one, from straight away. Because so much of time can be spent trying to clean up those things. So to my mind, I think it's a great investment in that first year of operations.
1: Let me tell you, I work with businesses that are making millions already. You are absolutely right. When they already got to that point if their financial statement cannot even show gross margin and the way they structure the financial statement is like revenue minus expenses equal profit or loss. Technically, you don't know if your business model is really working, if your pricing is really covering all the expenses and the cost of creating a service or a business. Really, is it covering your overhead? It's painful.
0: It's really painful and it's so, so important, right? Like, because if you're trying to solve a a social and environmental mission, financial sustainability has to be a part of that, right? Otherwise, we can't make the change that we want to see in the world.
1: Mindy, is there anything else you want to add to this conversation that I haven't asked you yet?
0: For your listeners, it's really important that they know that finance, money, um, taking on Debt doesn't have to be this big, scary, bad thing. It can be a really regenerative, restorative process for your, you and for your business. And there are amazing folks in this impact investing community willing to help you and your business and just to, to reach out and, and ask for that help and, and seek that community.
1: So where can they reach out uh for rsf social
0: finance and connect with you. We have our website rsfsocialfinance.org and there we have our loan application. My information is all our, on the website as well as all my colleagues. We have an open door and we'd love to hear from from anyone trying to tackle any any number of problems as a social enterprise.
1: Mindy, this has been delightful and inspiring. So thank you so much for being here. Yes, thanks for having me. And that's bring us to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for mission-driven women entrepreneurs. When you are ready to grow to the next level and seeking a finance team and a fractional CFO who are all in on your mission and can help you maximize profit to make a bigger social impact, Connect with us at theprofitreimagine.com forward slash let's chat.